This is the Hot Stove Report. Going, going, goodbye baseball. On 710 ESPN Seattle. 710sports.com and the 710 Seattle app. It is wonderful to have you with us. It is another installment of the Hot Stove Report. Aaron Goldsmith alongside Gary Hill. And Gary, the hot stove is heating up a little bit for the Mariners. Uh, Nothing official yet, but... Multiple reports, in fact, all the reports indicate that James Paxton is coming back to his home in the Northwest. Ken Giles will be joining the Mariners as well. Uh, physicals are pending, but this is uh, exciting stuff on the Mariners front. Well, James Paxton reported it himself, so I feel pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> the show coming up. No, we are going to talk about it, and we're going to get some, a national perspective and a local perspective on it, too. J.P. Morosi will be here. Uh, which is always fun. Great guy to talk to. He's going to give us his thoughts on Paxton and a little about the Mariners and about the division and big picture stuff as well. And Meg Riley from Fangrass will be here, and she's going to talk about Paxton as well. This is a big show. We'll be uh, joined by Mariners reliever Eric Swanson, also coming up later in the first hour. But right now we say hello to Mariners catcher Tom Murphy, who joins us right out of the gates. And, man, we missed watching Tom play last year, missed the entire season because of a foot injury. Tom, it's great to see you. It's great to be with you once again. How have you been? I've been doing much better since the last time we talked. Um, yeah, I'm feeling great down here in Arizona, getting things going, and uh, excited for things to start. Hey, we, we got a lot to cover, but I did <clears throat> want to start by telling you, and my wife is a is a Mariners fan, of course, and she's I would say she's fairly dialed in, given the fact that there are three children running around her house, and she has a, a lot of things to manage in our lives besides uh, Mariners baseball on the field. But she asked me, she said, hey, who who are you guys having on the show tonight? And I went through the roster, and, of course, Tom Murphy was one of the names. And she said, Tom Murphy, Tom Murphy, is that – is he the tall guy? And I said, well, you know, he's he's fairly tall. They're all all pretty tall. And she was – I could tell she was still kind of grasping for Tom Murphy. And I said, he's the guy with the – with the bear behind him. And she's all oh, right. Tom Murphy. Tom Murphy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, you feel good knowing that you're the only person probably in the history of mankind who has been introduced as the guy with the bear behind him. And if somebody who's listening doesn't know what we're talking about, just go to YouTube and search inside corner, Tom Murphy on the Mariners YouTube channel, YouTube page, and you'll know what we're talking about. So I think you feel very good knowing that. No, you know yeah. what else you should feel good about is I was on a Zoom call last week, and in the call, one of the participants had your background using the bear, <laughs> and, background, and they're talking just like it's a normal meeting, except Tom Murphy Bear was in the back, and I thought that was the greatest. That is great, and uh, I'm hoping my gameplay this year will help kind of make people re- remember me for something more than a bear in a cartwheel. <laughs> so that's <laughs> that's kind of my goal, I guess, for this year. <laughs> well, nevertheless, both those things are very good to be remembered by. <laughs> we're we're so eager to talk to you, Tom, because the way that your career was going when you came to the Mariners and you had this breakout season, and you were such a major part, not only of the on-field production for the Mariners, but if you want to call it the leadership group with the Mariners as well, you were center stage in in both those facets on and off the field. And then you had this debilitating foot injury last year that cost you the entire season. How did you process that emotional roller coaster of coming in, knowing that you would be the guy to all of a sudden you can't suit up at all? Yeah, you know, I, I've kind of been in that place before. Um, I kind of had that opportunity with the Rockies back in 2017 
where I was coming off of a second half in 2016 that kind of solidified me as being the guy to, to, to take, to take over there to catching duties and get the bulk of the time. So I went into that camp with that expectation as well. Um, and I came out kind of in a similar position. I, I broke my wrist at camp, uh, trying to throw down the second, uh, you know, the batter was swinging and I happened to just run into his bat as I was throwing. So I broke my wrist and was kind of in an odd, in an odd position with a cast for like eight weeks. And so it took, a, it took a bit for me to come back from that as well. And I, I had lost that opportunity um, by that point because the Rockies were in a playoff hunt and, you know, it's real hard to trust a rookie catcher coming in in June, July to, to take over full duties and, and to be, you know, trustworthy right off the bat. So I kind of, lost that opportunity. And, uh, you know, last year kind of felt very similar. That's for sure. How are you thinking about this year going into camp? I think it's a little different than when I, you know, was with the Rockies and, and the experience I had there because, you know, I'm, I'm coming off of a 2019 with the Mariners where things just kind of seemed to come together for me for the first time, uh, in the big league setting. You know, I knew I had had that type of success in the minor leagues, but, uh, to be able to go out there and do it at the big league level, you know, not only gave me enough confidence that I could do it myself, but also I think it gave the team enough confidence to realize that, you know, I was, I was ready and prepared for that role. We're joined by Tom Murphy on the hot stove report. Tom, what were you able to take away to make yourself better during the time away from the field? That's a good question. You know, I, I watched every game very intently as much as my pitchers may not know that I'm doing those sorts of things. Um, I'm gaining a very, you know, keen understanding of the way they do things and the way that they operate during games. And, you know, that's not only the physical side of things, but also the mental side of things, you know, and, um, you know, just watching from afar is obviously not as advantageous as playing, but um, I feel like when you watch it through a lens of, you know, that's my guy out there, that's my teammate and what can I learn from it? Then you, you see a lot of things open up that you normally wouldn't when you're just watching a baseball game. I was just thinking about how you watch a baseball game. It'd be interesting to sit next to you while you watch a game. And it's got to be different than a fan watches a game, right? I mean, what kind of details do you pinpoint on when you watch a game? It's funny you mentioned that because, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I feel like I, I think ahead way more than what I'm seeing in the moment when I'm watching a game. And it's funny because I, I had a, my first catching coordinator's name was Marv Foley back with the Colorado Rockies, uh, very old timer, old school type guy, um, really helped me along on my path. I talked to him about this very question you know, at the time I didn't understand, but he, he said he just, he, he had a difficult time watching out on TV because you just have that different lens. It's not, it's not like something you enjoy. It feels a little bit like work. And, um, you know, even though I enjoy that aspect, it is different while you're playing and you're watching your guys out there doing their thing. Cause you know, you're not just watching for your enjoyment. You're watching it, for, you know, to hopefully make your teammates a little bit better. So, um, to have that kind of critical lens is, is something that's a little different than the average viewer. Did you find yourself in your head calling the game like the catcher would be calling a game if you were behind the plate? No doubt. I mean, I think I do that. Anytime I watch a game, whether it's us or, or, you know, a different team or whatever, it's just kind of ingrained in who I am, I would say, at this point in my life and my career. And um, it's fun at the same time. It's like, you know, hopefully someday I'll just be able to watch baseball and not have to worry about anything like that, you know, hopefully a long ways down the road. But, yeah, I'll, I'll enjoy both sides of that. So did you have communication with your pitchers, just whether it be through text or phone calls during the course of the season to, to relay what you were seeing? Yeah. So, um, you know, for about half my time, uh, while I was on the aisle during the actual season, I was, 
I was in Tacoma and Seattle simultaneously. The team would go on the road. I would go to uh, Tacoma, and when they're home, I'd come into the to the regular stadium. So I had a lot of good communication with the pitchers during that time. And then about halfway through, I went to Arizona because we needed a, a spot in uh, Seattle for a player to come in and, and participate in summer camp and and uh, the, the season with Seattle. So I, I came to Arizona, and um, you know, it, from there on out, I was just texting. So that communication wasn't as ideal as seeing somebody at the ballpark every day and having a you know heartfelt conversation with them. You think about this spring. I mean, it's been what since July that you played in a. a game type setting with summer camp. Is there anything different uh, as you approach the spring, how much you want to play, how many of bats you want to get, or is it just kind of a typical spring? You know, I, I always treat spring training kind of similarly as, as what I'm feeling now. To be honest with you, I, I always want the reps. Um, the reps are what make me feel prepared. You know, I'm a person that needs a lot of reassurance when it comes to that and, and just being out there and getting back into the flow of game. I, I'd rather be over-prepared come April 1st than, you know, a week behind. So I'll always take the reps during spring whenever they're available. And uh, that's, you know, obviously what I feel like this year for sure. Mariners catcher Tom Murphy, our guest on the Hot Stove Report. I was talking to your skipper a couple of weeks ago, Tom, and I asked him about you and how he would go about managing your situation to start the year from the standpoint of, as Gary referenced, you haven't played in an actual game in so long and what type of adrenaline rush it must be for you when you do get back on the field in a real life game, not spring training, although that I'm sure will feel like game seven of the world series to you at this (laughs) point, but an actual opening day, regular season game and how you keep Tom Murphy from trying to hit a home run in every at bat. Is that something that you have thought about? Uh, is that a concern of yours, how you would tap the brakes a little bit? What's your thought on that? Uh, that is usually something that's always at the forefront of my mind and where I need to be every day with baseball. Cause I, I feel like I could be that person very easily, you know, showing up to the ballpark uh, with just way too much energy and adrenaline and, and trying to do way too much. So that's, that's been a pretty constant part of me. Obviously this is a little different because I've had such a lapse in the last time I played, but at the same time, you know, this is something that uh, is, is definitely, like I said, a part of me and the excitement that I bring with pretty much every day I'm at the field. So I'll do the best to kind of hone that in and be prepared, <laughs> but uh, there's really nothing like that, uh, that response that you get when you're actually out there. Thinking about this year with you and, and the team, what are you looking forward to most about this upcoming season? Uh, feeling like uh, uh, you know, I'm a part of the team again. You know, I think when you're away from the team and, you know, like I said, I came to Arizona and, you know, really away from guys and just being able to text and watch games, you don't really feel like you're doing much. I, I would say that's probably a pretty natural reaction to, to that. But um, my mind goes to those guys that have Tommy John just sit there for a year. I mean, that's way more of a mental hurdle. I think people understand. And uh, I got a little taste of that from last year. What did the, first of all, let, let's just talk about the foot for a second. At, at what point did you feel like you were fully recovered from that and you were able to go full tilt Tom Murphy off season activities like you normally would? Yeah. When I first got home, which was around, you know, the beginning of October, it was feeling pretty good. It feels like, you know, we were in the right direction and we were kind of slowly progressing from there because, you know, at that point we didn't have to rush anything. So by the time November kind of came around, I felt like I was, you know, I was, I was sprinting. I was doing everything I normally would in an off season and I felt pretty confident about it. So I would say, you know, around that November flip of the calendar was was around that time. As Aaron puts it, uh, I assume full tilt 
Tom Murphy activities means like lifting boulders and <laughs> jumping over small buildings. Like what, <laughs> what do your off season workouts look like? Oh man. So they're, I mean, they're intense for sure. I, I have my days and, uh, you know, the reason why is because it's something I really enjoy. <laughs> it doesn't feel like I'm, like I'm actually working when I'm doing those things, but, uh, man, the setup was brutal. I, I would usually train before my kids got up. So get up at like five and, you know, everything we have is out in a garage and, you know, there's no heat or, uh, you know, insulation out there. So <laughs> training there in the, in the winter time was pretty rough. Some mornings it, it took a little extra motivation than usual, but, you know, you get through it. Now, for those who aren't familiar, you are in the off season when you're not in Arizona, like you are as we're getting ramped up now, you're, you're in New York. You are how, how far into, uh, not like Manhattan, New York, are you, but more towards Tom Murphy, there's wilderness for me to get on my ATV and roam New York. Um, we're a ways away. I mean, I think we're a solid four and a half, five hours from New York city, um, North East of there, or sorry, Northwest of there. And, um, you know, we're, Compared to what I would think most people kind of came up with in Major League Baseball, we're in the middle of nowhere. So it's uh, it's something I really enjoy about my life and something I don't think I'll ever change. Will you tell us and describe for us as best you can what your home gym setup is like? <laughs> yeah, honestly, it's pretty rough cut. I mean, it's nothing crazy. It's just a power rack, a uh, barbell, and like a, an adjustable dumbbell some horse stall mats. Those are great. That's about it, honestly. And I, I just make it work. You know, I feel like that's absolutely everything an athlete needs to get better. Can you tell us, give us just a glimpse of what a typical workout looks like? <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's nothing like, it's nothing groundbreaking. I think it's more the intent behind it. That is what is different than most people. Um, you know, I, my days are scheduled based off of intent really. Um, so you have your high intensity days, you have your low intensity days, uh, the high intensity days are, they're full bore. I mean, they're, you know, what I would call circa max, right. Somewhere near your max effort in, in certain things. So, I mean, it, like I said, the movements are very basic. It's more the intent that kind of is the difference maker in my opinion. When a ball player is working with a strength and conditioning staff for his ball club, there are some guys who get to the majors and all that they know about this is what they have been told in terms of personal performance, workout, uh, high performance as as the Mariners have branded it and, and probably other teams as well. And then there are guys like you who you're really a disciple of this. You're a student of this. And it seems like if you weren't playing baseball, this would be a possible career path of yours. Uh, h- how much do you work with James Clifford, Mariner strength and conditioning coach and the other guys? And, and how much do they just say during the off season, Hey Tom, you go do your thing, man. And we'll catch you in Arizona when it's time for pitchers and catchers. Yeah. I think it's a good balance of both, right? Um, you want to always keep an ear open for things that you don't know, um, which is where obviously Cliffy comes in and, and Derek Kent- Kentiani comes in and, you know, I, I always am, open ears when it comes to those sorts of things. Cause that's their gut. That's their job. You know, they're, they're designed to be there to help people out. Um, but at the same time, obviously, like you mentioned, like there's a passion for it on my end. And it's something that I've always been intrigued by and something I've kind of refined over the years. So, you, you know, you take the, the idea of being open with also kind of sticking to your plan and it usually comes out as something pretty effective. As we wrap things up with Mariners catcher, Tom Murphy, Tom, I am curious to know, during the off season, what was your, what was your go-to guilty pleasure snack? 
that's an easy one. My everybody in my family, I think, could confirm this. It was cinnamon toast crunch. I was going through boxes of that. That was just that was it for me. <laughs> I'm a little bit on the I soggy mean, like, side, you... which really upsets other people. But yeah, that's that's it. Are we pouring this into like a mixing bowl and going eating half a box at a time, or are you doing normal sized portions of this just at a, at a high rate? The bowl was heaping. I mean, there was no like cup measurements or anything like that when it comes to cinnamon toast crunch. You just you pour until you can't stop anymore, and hopefully, there's enough room for milk. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's incredible. Thank you, Tom. Uh, that is. Uh, even better answer than I could have imagined. Tom, thanks for hanging out with us tonight. It is, it's a real treat to catch up with you, son. We can't wait to see you in spring training. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. That is Mariners catcher Tom Murphy joining us tonight on the Hot Stove Report. Well, the Mariners team store is ready to help outfit you for the 2021 season at any of their four convenient locations. Or if you prefer, you can also place an order by emailing Mariners team store at mariners.com to arrange delivery or curbside pickup. For information and hours, just go to mariners.com slash team store. Just underway tonight on the Hot Stove Report. When we come back, we're joined by national writer J.P. Morosi of MLB Network and Fox Sports. J.P. joins us after this timeout. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Welcome back inside the Hot Stove Report, Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. And we are excited to be joined by a guy that you see and hear all the time. An MLB Network insider. You see him on Fox Sports as well. You hear him on MLB Network Radio. John Paul Morosi joins us from his warm home in Ann Arbor, Michigan. He's fresh off the frozen ponds. JP, it's great to see you, my friend. How are (laughs) things going in your world? Aaron and Gary, it is great to be with you both. Uh, Yes, we have not seen a temperature above 30 degrees Fahrenheit uh, for some number of weeks now, it seems, which has been great. Uh, The pond hockey has been tremendous. So I'm sending all those good hockey vibes out to the prospective Kraken fans in in the great city of Seattle and the Pacific Northwest. Uh, It's great. It's been uh, great to be outside with the kids. We've really enjoyed it. And uh, and it really does make you all the more grateful when you see those first pictures of spring – which we'll get this week, pitchers and catchers reporting. So when you see those glimpses, it tells you there's some hope there uh, coming pretty soon. So it's great to be with you guys both here tonight and uh, talking about baseball. Yeah, we are. Uh, it, by the way, it's never felt quite as much like Michigan as it has in Seattle <laughs> this week with our snowfall, as uh, you know about. But, hey, we are, we're getting excited very much so for spring training, for the upcoming season for the Mariners and the the hot stove is uh, finally uh, putting off a little bit of heat these days uh, in our neck of the woods. Uh, we, there's a, a, a couple of moves that are, though, they are not official yet for the Mariners. Some physicals still need to be passed. Uh, they've been widely reported. Uh, first, let's talk about the headliner. Uh, James Paxton is coming back to the great Northwest. Uh, we're excited to see James once again in a Mariners uniform. Your initial thoughts when you found out of the, the deal, the one-year deal, it sounds like that we'll be bringing James back to Seattle. The great fit, certainly, I think for him, knowing the, the, the medical staff there, knowing the, the front office so well, the trust, I think, was really key. Of course, uh, not far from where he grew up is another uh, key factor, too, for James. But I, I think overall, this is going to be a, a year where he's going to reestablish, still being a relatively young free agent uh, this past offseason, that I think it really gives him a nice chance to, to reestablish who he is and have a really healthy season start to finish. I mean, certainly we all know what his background has been, first-class person who just has had some injury issues in the past. But I think when he is going, uh, we have seen him be almost as dominant as any lefty in the game when he's been healthy, at least in the 
American League last several years. So I think that it's it's a good contract for the Mariners. I, I like the flexibility that they have there. And really, I think you, you hope ideally he comes in. And this is where the, the 2020 season and the, the pitching can almost be what you make it looking back to 2020. Either an arm like James got a bit of a break or, and a rest, obviously, that wasn't, wasn't by design for him. There's still been some injuries, but you maybe say, well, the, the wasn't overall a very taxing year, so maybe he will be able to come back and have a more extensive workload in 2020. There's also the flip side, which is uh, save Kohei Arihata, who comes over from Japan and, and goes to pitch for the Rangers. Basically, nobody in baseball pitched 100 innings in 2020. So it's, it's going to be a mystery, but I, I think that for a team to have success uh, in the Mariners situation or anybody's situation, Aaron and Gary, I think having that uh, additional starting pitcher is going to be hugely important. Whether it's a six-man rotation or a five-man rotation, I think James Paxson is going to be able to pitch some very quality innings for the Mariners here this year. I think you hit on the absolute wild card for this season coming up with starting pitching. I, I just, it's hard to know exactly what to expect when you have a guy like, you know, headliner of a rotation like Marco Gonzalez pitched 60, 70 innings. You have uh, young players that pitched, I don't know, 20. Some didn't pitch at all. It, it's just hard to know what to expect from rotations coming into this year, which makes things, I think, really interesting. And seasons may hinge on depths of rotations. You're right. And that's where I think from the Mariners standpoint, having flex and I think is a, is a really key move as well for them and, and, and seeing what he's able to offer. Uh, and, and you hope that obviously Kikuchi, the, the more years he, he spends in the States, the more comfortable he gets. I think we've certainly seen some glimpses of what he can do. Marco Gonzalez, I think is, is someone that really think the Mariners have come to trust a lot in recent years. That, that was, you'd look back, that was a really quality move they made for someone who I think really uh, has taken on now that, that veteran mantle for the Mariner rotation. So I, I look for some great things from Marco again and some continued stability there. But you're right. There's just a lot of uh, uncertainty. And then there's also some promise. I think arms like Sheffield and Dunn have both shown that w w when in the right situation, they can both deliver and, and they can give some quality innings in the AL. I think to me, I think one thing that's going to help the Mariners and is more of a multi-year story for them, but certainly applies to 2021 as well, is, is I don't see, I do not see a dominant team in the American league right now, if you, if you had to ask me who the, the best roster is one through 26, I, I might lean to the white Sox, but I, it, it, that I said that with a little bit of uncertainty in my voice, which you can hear. So, I mean, the, to me, if I'm a team like the Mariners who is coming into my own here, the next couple of years, and you're, you're dreaming on Rodriguez and Kalnick and what that's going to look like in, in the years ahead and Gilbert and the group overall, I, I think this is actually a, a perfect time to be a club right now in, in the Seattle situation. I'd much rather be in the AL West than the NL West and have to deal with the Dodgers and Padres. I think right now it's a good situation for Seattle all the way around. And, and I'm curious to see what the likes of, of Flexen and Sheffield and Dunn can do here in 2021 as well. John Paul Morosi of MLB Network and Fox Sports is our guest on the Hot Stove Report. Along those lines, JP, as you look at the American League West, as we project things as best as we can going into 2021, uh, there have been some moves made around the division. There have been some players lost, like everybody else around the division. Uh, what is it that you are looking at and how you are seeing things possibly shape up in the West this coming season? It's a great question, Aaron, because I, I think that, uh, again, as I said, with, with the AL overall, there's, there is not that clear number one definite favorite right now in the AL West. I might lean to Oakland. But they have to find a way to replace Semyon and Hendricks and Grossman, I think, who had a very quality and 
quietly quality season for, for Oakland in 2020. Uh, you've got to really credit the way they've constantly been able to, to, to work on that pitching staff. And I think Bassett is one of the great underrated pitchers in the game. Uh, you look at Luzardo and Manaya, are they able to be uh, healthy and consistent over a full season? Montas, what is he able to offer? I, I think that, again, they are, if Chapman is healthy especially, I think probably still the favorites. But let's remember the Astros, who still return a number of players, uh, came within one game of making the World Series this past year. And uh, and they may not be totally done yet in terms of their moves as well. So we'll see how many of the young arms that we saw for them in October, uh, are they able to start? Uh, how does that group come together? But that's where, for me, I, I, I think the Mariners – I look at them and, and you consider where the Angels are and still having to do some work with their pitching. Perry Manassas had a very busy first winter in charge there with the Angels, but I don't think that they are appreciably better than the Mariners right now. And so I think that's where, if I'm Seattle, I look at this year and say, you know what, uh, being able to finish in the 80s with wins and, and, and maybe even put on a, a real meaningful um, playoff push if everything goes great, those are things you can dream on a little bit with, with this team. It's it's not out of the question uh, based on the way this division looks top to bottom. And, and I still think Oakland still is the class of the division if they're healthy, but uh, they have to replace some pretty significant contributors right now with the departures there, as we mentioned, of Semi and Hendricks and Grossman. Playing that forward a little bit, looking at Oakland and Houston, where do you see their arc right now in the next couple of years where, where do you see them going mm-hmm. this couple of seasons that's a key point there Gary because obviously at some point with, with Oakland what we know is that they're not usually able to sign players like an Olsen like a Chapman those, those kinds of guys uh, don't often stay even you know someone like Bassett for example who really has has uh, has been their number one effectively and you think about someone like a Manaya um, and, and their bullpen how they're gonna have to be creative to, to make that that group work again I I think that Oakland probably still has one, maybe two more years of, of their peak. I think with Houston, again, Correa is up for, for free agency after the season is over. Verlander, they expect to get back, obviously, for 2022. But, um, you know, at that point in time, he's going to be, goodness, 38 years old, uh, I guess, by then. So they're, I think Houston maybe proved to us with their young arms that they are able to extend that window a little bit longer than we thought. Um, but I, there's some legitimate questions there in terms of Bregman's numbers. Is he going to be back to being the MVP type player he was in the past? Uh, Correa, I, I look for him to have a really good platform year. Altuve, we saw with the throwing issues in in the postseason, what an emotional and difficult time that was for him. How does he look bouncing back? I, I, I have questions about both teams where I, I think actually the Mariners, their up-and-coming arc, if you look at this team and say, okay, Kelnick and Rodriguez, they'll be arriving and making an impact here. I think the Mariners' rise is syncing up very nicely with when I would expect a little diminishment or a big diminishment from Houston and Oakland. And I think the next four to five years for the Mariners have a chance to be really, really exciting. That's that's exciting to hear. That, that was the plan all along by Jerry and his staff to kind of get the, the crest moving at the right time when other teams were beginning to dip a little bit. JP, before we let you go, just a uh, very sincere and happy Punchki day to you, my friend. Ah, uh, no, I, I appreciate it. Barzo Dobje, Jinkuin Barzo. That's basically, as as you know, Aaron and Gary. So basically, uh, Fat Tuesday. It's no, uh, Mardi Gras. They can have the, the celebration in different spots around the country for Mardi Gras, but the true celebration of Fat Tuesday is the Punchki Day. So for the uninitiated, find the nearest, best, greatest. Polish American bakery that's still open on, on Fat Tuesday here 
And Poonski is basically like a jelly donut that is just so much goodness, Gary and Aaron. I can't even basically describe it. And it's spelled, if you want to Google, where can I buy a Poonski or search, where can I buy a Poonski today? P-A-C-Z-K-I. Of course, that's how you spell it. So a happy Poonski day. Veshoe, Veshoe uh, Poonski day. Veshoe is happy. Poonski day uh, is, is how you would say that. So, yes, it's uh, thank you very much. Jinkoyam Barzo for mentioning that uh, there uh, during the course of our conversation, Eric. You know, I can't believe you that that's how it's spelled. There's, that's there's how it's 0% spelled. chance. But there's like a, there's like one of the it's there's the little hook at the bottom. I think it's the of the C to P.A.C. with the hook Z.K.I. Uh, beautiful uh, tradition here on Fat Tuesday in my family. Certainly Punchki Day. You got to go out there and get it nice and early in the morning. You got to order it days in advance here in Michigan. You got a big Polish American community and it's, it's always been a big part of the my family celebration around this time of year. Well, he is he is the Rosetta Stone of Major League Baseball, a true Carmen San Diego. JP Morosi, my goodness, it is always wonderful to see you and hear your voice and talk baseball and all things international as well. We get our passports ready when we have JP on. Man, thank you so much for the time. Uh, I look forward to whenever it is that we can see you face to face once. Uh, more. I, I can't wait, and I'm telling you, the the Mariners. I, I, you know how I feel about Seattle, guys. I, I love your city so much. Of course, with our family connections out there, my sister in law living there. So I, I cannot wait. I, I, you guys probably are anticipating this moment a little bit more than me, but I'm like, like close second when the Mariners are back in the playoffs, that gorgeous ballparks rocking. I, I am going to be the happiest man after you guys to be there. So I can't wait. It's coming. Uh, Jerry's done a great job. Kelnick, the great Wisconsin native, is going to be tremendous. So I, I can't wait to watch the Mariners here in, in, in the days ahead, in the years ahead as well. That's awesome stuff. There he is, J.P. Morosi of MLB Network and Fox Sports. We're back with more on the hot stove. All things Mariners, all off-season. The hot stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Here's the stretch and the 0-2 on the way and a swing and a miss for strike three. Eric Swanson has struck out the side here in the bottom of the eighth inning. He has put on a show in relief. Five strikeouts of the seven batters that he faces in relief. What a performance by Eric Swanson. Welcome back inside the Hot Stove Report. We continue here, Aaron Goldsmith alongside Gary Hill, and we're really excited to be joined by Mariners pitcher Eric Swanson, who's uh, chiming in. From Arizona, getting ready for pitchers and catchers. Swanee, it's great to see you. It's great to talk to you, man. How are things? Doing great. Thanks for thanks for having me. Um, definitely nice to be down and in some nice weather right now. Yeah, we've uh, we've had some snow here in Seattle and uh, like North Dakota like elements for a guy who knows a thing or two about that. Uh, tell us what the uh, what the off season has been like for you. Yeah, the off season's been great. Um, you know came down to Arizona here a couple weeks ago and and uh, had to get out of the cold weather and it was actually a little bit tough to leave this year because we had a somewhat of a mild winter but the weather definitely caught up with everybody up there because I think it's like 30 below zero right now is is what the temps are this weekend so um, I'm glad I'm not there for sure yeah I gotta know the definition of a mild winter uh definition of a mild winter up there is when we left, it was we had like six inches of snow on the ground, and the coldest I think we really got consistency on a consistent level was probably like 20, 20 degrees, occasionally in the teens, but usually we get in the negatives, and that's when it gets a little tough to go outside. 
Now, you know, we had Misevich on, Swanee. We had Misevich on uh, about a month ago. And, you know, he's a Michigander, right? So he was telling us how tough he is, you know, working out in the snow, right? Paving the trail through the Arctic. But, I mean, North Dakota, man, you got – you beat Michigan, right, in terms of just overall toughness in the winter? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it, It gets brutal up there. It really does. And like I said, I'm really happy I'm not there right now because it's been a rough week, it sounds like. Um, but, yeah, when you get a couple of feet of snow on the ground and you get into 15 below zero or 20 below zero, it's it's tough to go outside. <laughs> you, you, you can go outside, but you go outside to maybe start your vehicle if you don't have auto start. But go to the grocery store maybe, that's about it. Is that a, is auto start like a real thing in North Dakota that you that every wise person has? Yeah, you have to have it. You have to. It makes it it makes life a lot easier when you're at work or you're in the house and you're getting ready to leave and your car's been sitting outside. You know, you want to come into a warm car. As Swanee's in Arizona, by the way. Let's just go let's circle. Let's go full circle here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wimped out. What is baseball like for kids growing up in North Dakota? I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio throughout like high school and a little bit younger. So that's where I was able to experience my travel ball and stuff like that. But I have a pretty good idea of, of the way it is in North Dakota. Um, you know, they don't start till April, I guess, if it's, if it's nice. Um, they do a lot of indoor stuff. So there's a few different areas in, in Fargo where I've done lessons at in the past where kids come in and, you know, big turf areas. So they're able to kind of run through workouts and practices and whatnot. Um, and uh, some places you have big, I know softball games sometimes can be held in. We have big like bubble domes that they put over football and soccer fields in the wintertime. So people can get in and, and kind of play simulated games and stuff like that. So it's, it's different for sure. We're talking with Eric Swanson, Mariners pitcher, kind enough to join us here on the Hot Stove Report. Eric, we we want to talk more nonsense because that's kind of what that's the, our sweet spot, uh, Gary and myself. Um, but we we do want to dig a little bit into you up on the mound before we return to the nonsense. Uh, last year, uh, we saw this obvious up- uptick in stuff. From Eric Swanson. I mean, the, the fastball velo was up. The, the velo across the board was up. I mean, there was a, there was a nasty factor to it. There, tell us where that came from. Uh, dad strength. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a real thing. You are you are a young father. You have a a just recently turned one year old. Congratulations. How is Toby doing? By the way, he's doing great. He's doing great. Um, we're getting very close to seeing his first steps now. So it's been an exciting time for sure we're just hoping that uh those first steps can be uh injury free so and not in snow boots <laughs> not in snow boots yeah that's right back on this little turf patch of grass that we have in the backyard which is nice so um but yeah he's doing great that's good so obviously there's some dad strength involved uh i was i'm sure there's a lot of young fathers in the show who wish it was quite that easy but you obviously put in a, a lot of work and made some real changes can you tell us what those were exactly yeah um you know the whole dad strength was just kind of a joke that everybody kind of said last year with the <laughs> obvious uptick in velo but 
Yeah, you know, I, I dropped some weight going into summer camp last year. Um, slimmed down a little bit. I want to say it was like 12 pounds or so. And I also didn't really have the means to, you know, a real weight room during the whole COVID quarantine shutdown during last year. Um, so it was just kind of throwing a little bit. And and um, I mentioned earlier before we started this, um, we stayed most of that time up on um, – my in-laws farm in Northern Minnesota. So I was able to stay active day in and day out every morning, get up and be able to at least do stuff. And I really think that that played a part in just kind of keeping me ready without having to go to a gym and uh, lifting weights and whatnot. So I think it was kind of weird in my opinion that I had that big of an uptick, but I think it was just, you know, staying active and, and then dropping a little bit of weight definitely played a factor in that for sure. You know, my velo is good right now. So I'm kind of happy to see it back again this year and uh, feeling stronger too. So we've seen you as a starter. We've seen you as a reliever with the big velo. Is that where you think your home is? Uh, yeah, right now for sure. I think the bullpen is, is where uh, my future is going to be. Um, you know, I love being a starting pitcher. I love being a reliever. Um, and it's just being a reliever is definitely kind of where I see myself right now. Can we talk about you as a hitter? I was fascinated by your, your third major league appearance, right? You're, you're in the show and the Mariners are playing the Padres and you're facing Margavichus. Yeah. Yeah. Talked about this with him. I mean, I know you struck out and you would have loved to get a hit. Yeah. We've talked about it a few times. Um, <laughs> That's uh, that's that's a tough one for me. <laughs> I have, I think that was probably the most nervous I've ever been in any game in my entire life. Um, I think that trumps how nervous I was in my debut, for sure. Uh, my first start pitching in Fenway that was uh, that was a nervous one for me. But yeah, he struck me out and uh, made me look pretty ugly. Made me look like a pitcher is what he did, and then. What was it the second at bat? He got bunted about two feet and got thrown out at first. <laughs> <laughs> so that was embarrassing too. Before that at bat, you're facing a major league pitcher. When was the last time you took an AB? Uh, it would have been high school. I mean, I find that to be amazing. Yeah, 2012. 2012 in a high school. And the next time you pick up a bat, you're in the major leagues facing a major league pitcher. I think that is amazing. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> I had, I think maybe like two days prior to that start where I took just a couple swings in the cage. I was, my confidence was at an all time high. I thought I was going to get in and get a base hit and uh, that didn't happen, but it was, it was difficult. That's for sure. Let's talk a little football here with Eric Swanson for a second. Uh, Eric, I know you are a, I mean, you're a really pretty serious Vikings fan. Yeah. Yep. So I'm curious, you know, a lot of people listening, I'd say the vast majority listening are great Seahawks fans. I just want you to take us back to the wildcard game and Blair Walsh and just that period in time in your life just where were you what were you thinking what what was broken in your home afterwards just tell us uh, how many years ago was that that was, was like 16 right yeah yeah 2016 
Yeah, that was a tough one. Um, I don't know if you know this, but postseason for Vikings fans have been – it's been very bad for a lot of years. Um, we've had some ups, Minneapolis Miracle beating New Orleans uh, last year. We can never close the deal. So it's just kind of fitting. And then obviously we've had plenty of uh, kicker moments where we've kind of uh, shot ourselves in the foot. So it's tough, but one of these days we'll get there. You sound like you're over it. You have closure. I'm, I'm over it. I'm over it. I like to remember the the good games. Like, like I said, like the Minneapolis miracle. I was actually on my bachelor party uh, during that game. So we were all watching that and we rented a lodge. We, we ice fished for the weekend and uh, we were all watching the game and pretty upset. And then that play happened. We all went nuts. It was pretty cool. I'll never forget that. To clarify your bachelor party was ice fishing. It was. Yes. <laughs> we rented a cabin on a, on a lake in Minnesota and spent uh, three days ice fishing. What'd you catch? Not one fish the entire time. (laughs) (laughs) To this day, that is the worst week of ice fishing I think I've ever had in my entire life. It was also very cold. It was about 30 below zero. So are you, are you a lifelong ice fisher then? So I've, I've lived back in North Dakota for to be six years now. So I've really, really gotten back, back into it uh, since I've gotten back home. But when I lived in, you know, the Midwest, Cincinnati area, I never did any of that because, you know, if our lakes froze, they were unthawed the next day. So being back there, it's, it's kind of one of my passions now. Ice fishing, hunting, just being in the outdoors in general. Who's a better outdoorsman, you or Tom Murphy? Oh, if you'd asked me anybody else, I would have said me. But Murph is uh, Murph is he's up there because he does the public land thing, and that's tough. He's hiking back in middle of nowhere and mountains. He's got the he's got mountains up in he's upstate New York, right? Yeah, yeah. So he's he roughs it up there. He's he's good. We were just talking about it a few days ago. Every time we come back to spring training, we kind of catch up with each other on how our uh, adventures were in the off season. He's on the show tonight and he's an animal. And we, we always like to talk to Tom about what he has. Jeremiah Johnson, essentially (laughs) (laughs) during, during the winter time. Uh, When, when you're ice fishing, man, and you're out there for three days and it's minus 30 degrees. I mean, the fact that we're talking right now means that you won. I mean, how do you survive something like that? Yeah, so there's a, there's a few different ways you can do it. <clears throat> when it's when it's nicer out and it's you know 20 30 degrees and you have ice on the on the lake, it's a little bit easier because you can go and we call them portable tents. You they pop up, you can take them down the same day. When it's really cold, you stay in what's called like an ice castle. So basically, what it is, it's almost an RV or like a fifth wheel made for ice fishing. So you have bed in there, stove, TV, counter, table, stuff like that. But you also have about eight holes that are pre-drilled into the base of the ice castle. And they have they have lids on them. You pop them off, you drill your hole through the ice, and then you fish in there. And you can actually sleep on the ice. 
So that way is kind of the fancy way to do it and the fun way to do it because you could go out and, you know, play cards at night and watch your, watch your line in the water and have a good time with a couple of your buddies, maybe enjoy a couple of beverages and it's fun. And I see why, uh, you may not have caught anything and why you probably didn't care that you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that weekend, I guess ice fishing wasn't my biggest priority. Um, <laughs> but when I, uh, when I take it serious, it's, it's, it's fun to get out, catch fish and be able to bring home some dinner too. So. Hey, as we wrap things up here with Eric Swanson, uh, Eric, you were in the bullpen when Kyle Lewis made one of the great catches of our memory uh, that helped staple him as the rookie of the year. Tell us what was going through your mind when you saw that play happen. Yeah, that was insane. There's a picture floating out there somewhere of gravy. <laughs> he's, he's to the left of me when Kalu is midair and his reaction says it all. Cause after he caught that, we all freaked out, but somebody snapped a picture of Graveman with his beard and long hair when he had it and his facial expression was perfect. Um, but that was insane. Um, you know, looking back on it, it was one of, if not the craziest play I've ever seen in the game. Um, but it also didn't really shock me coming from him because he is, he's so good out there, man. He is, uh, a very, very good outfielder and just, great athlete in general so that did not shock me one bit but it was crazy we all celebrated out there that was awesome eric it's great catching up with you it's it's really fun to learn about you off the field as well and uh some of the things that you're into and what makes you tick so uh, we appreciate the time we're glad that you are uh warm in arizona we can't wait to watch you pitch this season and see you down there in spring training thanks for hopping on with us tonight yeah thanks for having me appreciate it guys that's eric swanson we're back with more on the hot stove report Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. The Hot Stove Report rolls along. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. New feature on the program this year. We're taking questions for you for each Hot Stove Report each and every Tuesday. All we ask is that you record your question on your phone. You email to us very simply, marinerspod at mariners.com. That is marinerspod at mariners.com for a chance to, of course, hear your voice on the radio, be selected, and receive a Mariners prize pack. And this week's question comes from Zach, all the way from Charlotte, North Carolina. Hey guys, Zach Gonzalez here calling in from Charlotte, North Carolina, longtime listener. I wanted to switch gears a little bit, ask you about a different topic, and that is the MLB expansion. Should Major League Baseball expand to 32 teams? Uh, what city should get an expansion team? And then, have you heard any rumors of cities being the major league expansion? I know I've heard reports of Nashville last year being on the table. I uh, want to get y'all's thoughts on it. I also want to say thank you for everything, guys. You have enabled me to become a better Mariners fan while living out here on the East Coast. So thanks for everything, guys. Zach, very kind words. We appreciate that. We appreciate you being such a great Mariners fan, especially from such long distance away. Good question. Garrett, what are you thinking? You got any initial responses to that? That's a great question. And thanks to Zach, who's a friend of Mariners pod. So we appreciate that. Uh, my, my initial, I will give you my honest initial reaction. 
I would love to see the Expos back in Major League Baseball. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm only partly joking with that. For whatever reason, when I was a kid, I was just fond of the Expos. And I think it started with their cool hats, you know, the red, white, and blue hats and their logo and uniforms and everything. But, you know, as time goes on and I grew into baseball, it's just a cool team. Gary Carter and Tim Raines and Andre Dawson and Vladimir Guerrero and just these list of really good players. In the mid-90s, they were really good. You always wonder what would have happened in 94 had baseball not stopped. I mean, Larry Walker, Pedro Martinez, just to name a couple, that they were so, so good. But, you know, as I think about Montreal, too, and I think a lot of fans in Seattle, especially after what happened with the Sonics, I I just have a, a soft spot for Montreal and any place that has lost a team that had a team for so long. I mean, the Expos were there since 1969 before they left in 2004. It's a long time. And they had one playoff appearance in 81 and they were, uh, felt like they were really building something to the mid nineties. It's just, it's unfortunate. And I'd, I'd really like to see Montreal back. I, Given a couple situations in Oakland and Tampa Bay with uh, their stadiums, I think that still has to get squared away before, I don't know, before this happens. Uh, I think Mexico is intriguing to me. There's a lot of intriguing places, I think, around the country that baseball would be a good fit in. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, but I think it will happen down the road. It would be awesome if it happened, Zach. I, my my biggest uh, thought with it is just simply there's such a competitive imbalance as it is right now. It feels like it's hard to field enough players to make 30 teams good. Uh, we're not seeing that year in and year out. So the idea of thinning out the pool even more, I, I don't see it as a great move Right now, things change. I agree, Gary. I don't think it's anytime soon. But I do think if the situation changed somewhat uh, across the landscape of Major League Baseball, I think that would be very cool. It'd be very cool to add teams. It always is. Once again, Mariners Pod at Mariners.com. Simply record your question on your phone. Email it to MarinersPod at Mariners.com for a chance to make it onto the program. Our thanks to Zach in Charlotte. Prize pack is coming your way. When we come back, hour number two, of the Hot Stove Report, we'll be talking with Christopher Negron, Mariner's new AAA manager in Tacoma, former Mariner himself, and Meg Rowley, managing editor at Fangraphs, joins us next.